The FedEx Cup playoffs are rolling on to Boston this week for the Dell Technologies Championship. Follow along at PGA Tour Live. Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, and Justin Thomas paired together and in the featured groups. PGATourLive.com, just $5.99 a month. Subscribe today. I'm not sure that it would be possible that the Steelhead XR3 wood from Callaway is possibly better than the Sub-Zero Epic that I'm gaming, but I'm hearing enough about it that I at least want to give it a try. We're going to talk a bit, a bit, a bit more about this later on in the show. For now, let's get to Zach Blair. Be the right club. Be the right club today. That's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, One you guys have been asking for and waiting for for a while. First time on either NLU podcast, despite uh, being a loyal follower of No Laying Up. Zach Blair, ZB, how are we doing? Yeah, doing good, man. We're here in Columbus, Ohio. You're here for the Nationwide Children's Hospital, kicking off the Web Tour Finals. Uh, you've played the Web Tour Finals before. You've played the course before. Uh, what's it like to be back? Yeah, obviously, you know, you'd rather probably be at uh, the Dell Championship and the FedEx Cup playoffs, but uh, yeah, still golfing for a living, so it's pretty good. You were on the unfortunate, you were the, the bubble boy this year, 126 on the FedEx Cup, uh, missing out on the playoffs by barely more than a point. So what was it like on Friday? I guess Friday first, you needed, you needed to make the cut. You made the cut pretty comfortably, but was there, like a, did you feel like you were playing for your, for your life essentially on that Friday? You know, I was in kind of a situation where I was 120th, so I kind of had five spots to play with, but I knew there were so many people that kind of anything could happen, so I definitely wanted to go out and make the cut, and, you know, I made a 30-footer on the last hole to, at that point, feel like I was going to make it, ended up making it, so I knew that it was kind of in my hands if I went out and played well on the weekend that I would kind of... uh, it would be fine and ended up playing kind of one of my worst rounds of the year, I guess, on uh, Saturday. But, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. Because I mean, so I'm not even sure some people some people are aware that on the tour that if more than half the people make the cut, then there is another cut to get down below 70 people after Saturday. Yeah. And so did you, did you knew going into Saturday that there was going to be another cut. Yeah, yeah. Anytime more than 78 guys okay. make the cut, they have the uh, secondary cut, which... You know, it's a weird rule, but, you know, it used to be, I think, maybe five years ago, it used to be if more than 78 guys made the cut, they just made that cut. You didn't even get a play on Saturday. So you would get paid, but you didn't even get a play Saturday. So at least you get a chance to kind of go out and, you know, improve your position. But it's just, uh, yeah, one of those things. You may not be the best person to ask, but is is that rule kind of a janky rule to you? I mean, it, it, it... hurts you the most probably of anyone but is that something the guys talk about like why do we have this final cut you know I, I saw some people mention it kind of uh that next this is sunday after it had kind of unfolded like that but you know i wasn't the only one all year that you know made the cut and didn't get a finish so there would have been different points kind of all year i mean there was more than one secondary cut so it's just just again one of those things that just kind of sucks 
Well, I want to get into a lot of different things. Mostly, I think people want to hear kind of takes on architecture and some of the some of the, the real passions you have. But I wanted to kind of first back up and do. Um, I mean, I could sit here and list your resume and whatnot for for people that don't know your background story, how you got to the tour, what your amateur career was like. Do you have like a way to summarize that in a minute, two minutes, or anything that kind of gives people a better background on you? Uh, I went to BYU, played collegiately at you know Brigham Young University, and uh, went to Q School as an amateur, made it to final stage, ended up not turning pro right away, went down and played the PGA Tour Latin America for about a half a summer, then was able to get a couple web.com starts that year, uh, played the U.S. Open that same year, and ended up making enough money to kind of reshuffle in and making the web finals that first year out and yeah played the web finals and took second at the uh sawgrass event and ended up getting my card so it was a pretty unique route i think i played every tour that the pga tour offered uh in that same year so it was pretty cool when you went down to the pga tour latino america you played really well was it pretty evident to you right off the bat that you were on a different level than a lot of those guys and you felt like you were, you know, should maybe be a level above that almost immediately? Um, you know, I, I didn't play well enough at Q school to feel like that, but I did play da- play good down in uh, Latin America. I think I had, you know, four or five top fives out of the seven events that I played. So I definitely felt like I was kind of... Uh, you know, wasting that good play that I needed to be playing at least on the web.com tour and then went out and played well on the web for, you know, about 12 events in a row. I think I played like 14 events in a row or something like that and ended up getting my card. So it was a, a nice way to do it. You play a lot of golf. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, for someone that hasn't seen you play, like what, what's your game like? What do you, what do you pride yourself on? What's, what's your most efficient part of your game? Uh, usually, you know, like my putting and chipping, but the putting kind of hasn't been where I want it to be the last year or two, so I'm looking to get that straightened out and should be ready to roll. I mean, you're definitely not, not a bomber. Do you do you feel, or how much of a disadvantage do you feel like on the courses that they, you play on the PGA Tour compared to anywhere any other stops you've been? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, about half of the events... I have to be really on is kind of the best way to put it. It's not, I don't look at it as a disadvantage because I feel like I can still compete, but I definitely have to be on top of my wedge game and my putting and chipping to kind of uh, uh, be able to hang with a lot of the guys. Your margins for error are just more thin than yeah, some of the bombers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Do you do you feel like you had that anything was different in your game in particular this year? You mentioned your putting and chipping wasn't as strong. Was there anything else that felt like changed from the, from prior years where you were able to finish in the top 125? Yeah, honestly, it was just kind of like my putting. Uh, my first year out here, and even kind of when I played on the PGA Tour Latin America and in the Web.com, I felt like I was you know putting well. And then that first year out, I felt like I putted well most of the season, and then. Just the last two years, just silly mistakes, you know, three putts, you know, missing kind of opportunities inside 10 feet. And at least that's a thing that I feel like if I clean up, I've got a lot of uh, room to go up, which is nice. I mean, you played you played 32 events this season. Like, are you just exhausted? I mean, that's, that's so much golf. Yeah, I mean, I played 35 my rookie year and 33, I think, my, uh, my second year, so... I uh, definitely play a lot, but I like golf and I like to play, so it's 
it always so it kind of you and I touch touch uh, I guess cross paths at the memorial this year and like your practice schedule kind of always interests me. I feel like when you go play play somewhere for a tournament, you want to get out to another course in the area. <laughs> um, and like I think you, know, you were talking about trying to make it out to courses in Columbus and. And I, I think you were at the course that Wednesday morning. You left and then came back and like played a few holes at six o'clock. Like, <laughs> does your caddy like hate you? Like, how do you? How does he put up with that schedule? Um, you know, I feel like it's it's better for the caddy sometimes because I kind of give him the whole day to. Who's your caddy? Tell us about your caddy. Uh, you know, I've had Andy Martinez caddy for me a little bit, and uh, but I've had a lot of other guys, um, a lot of friends, a lot of other caddies kind of fill in when when he hasn't been able to come out but uh you know I let him kind of hang out the entire day I like to go out and play early in the morning and then kind of relax all day when uh, everybody else is out there kind of playing the course and on the range and on the putting green like and stuff like that and then I like to go out late at night kind of again when nobody's out there I mean most people when I ask this on the podcast they are pretty try to act pretty cool and say no I'm not but is it safe to say you're a golf nut? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Everyone's always just like, no, you know, I'm not a nut. I'm not a golf nut. <laughs> so you're watching golf on TV when you're, well, you play every week, essentially, but when you're not playing, you're watching on TV. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, uh, like I said, I, I just really like golf. It's kind of something that I really enjoy, and I like all aspects of it. So, yeah, you definitely hear a lot of guys like, oh, I never watch golf on TV. I don't even play when I'm home, and I'm like... I watch golf and I play, so <laughs> not too cool for it. What what is this? So you obviously your short term chance, your short term plans change with your schedule for the fall. Now you're playing the Web Finals. Um, does it does it change anything else for you? I mean, are you are you just basically locked in on what's happening over the next few weeks on the Web Tour? Yeah, you know, I was gonna go play the the Dunhill Links again, but that's kind of you know this whole process has kind of put that in jeopardy a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty locked in. Just go out, play good this week, hopefully take care of business, and then maybe uh, freeze it up a little bit. What's the biggest difference between playing and competing, you know, throughout the course of a season on, like, the Web Tour versus the PGA Tour? I feel like on the PGA Tour, maybe the guys are just a little sharper. You know, everyone has, I think the talent to get to the PGA Tour that's on the web.com tour, you know, or at least most of them, but the guys out on the PGA Tour, I feel like maximize their abilities a little more, you know, they kind of find a way to get it in the hole better than most people. It's just because, I mean, it's, it's like I can go and watch a bunch of different players at a tournament and see the different styles that everyone has to get the ball in the hole. Yeah. And it's always so indecipherable to me as to who the better player is because it, well, a it varies week to week yeah and it's just I don't know I don't know how to say it other than like when I watch you guys play you don't hit every shot perfect not even close yeah there's a lot of variance that happens out there and so like I, I've I know I've followed guys like speed before and then just be like oh he's really just slapping it around today and yeah he just shot 68 like uh, yeah. so what is, is it you kind of I guess I don't know how to have a question related to that, but feel like, you know, there's guys that are just able to find a way to get the ball in the hole sometimes with less talent or, or, I mean, is it boiled down to talent for the most part or? 
I mean, getting the ball in the hole, like, is a talent, you know, some people just know how to score, I think that's the best way to describe it, I feel like a lot of people at home, even like my friends, kind of get tricked by like the TV coverage, you know, you think, you would think these guys hit every shot perfect, and make every putt, and hit every wedge shot inside of 10 feet, but that's not always the case, some guys, yeah, slap it around a little bit, and somehow you walk away, and they shot 68 and you're just like how did that happen <laughs> you know, what's it, you, when this, you're not as good as your good shots you're as good as your bad shots yeah or something like that is the phrase but yeah the misses you know some guys just like Kucher, you know he just never is in bad spots and stuff like that and you hear it all the time and then then you see it in action and you're like the guy just knows how to score speed too you know the guy just he's so smart he hits it in the right spots, misses it in the right spots, makes putts, doesn't force anything, and all of a sudden you think he's kind of slapping it around and he shoots 68, and you're just like, that's just, that's a talent. That's cruel. <laughs> Looking back on this season, and it's not over, but anything, was there anything you would have done differently? Um, I think, in it, like, I, am I right in saying any event that you can get into, you play? Yeah, for the most yeah. part, you know... A lot of it for me is when I'm playing good and I feel like I'm hitting it good, I like to keep playing. There's not uh, a reason to take yeah, a week off. Yeah, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on the the range and I don't spend a lot of time practicing. I, I really like to play, so it allows me to be fresh, I think, because I'm not sitting out there just grinding on the range. Um, but I think if I could change, obviously, anything, I would go back to that Saturday round at the Wyndham and just play so much different you know if I more free or kind just, of more I just feel like I forced it a little bit I, I felt like I've done a pretty good job the last couple weeks you know the last month not forcing it and I think I got into it on Saturday thinking that I needed to go out there and play good and was trying to make some putts forcing it a little bit from you know 20 25 feet running them by and then missed them and then it was just kind of compounding errors the whole day because yeah. i mean if you're if you're in that scenario where you're not necessarily in contention for the tournament mm-hmm. during the middle of the season you're just kind of playing for permission position you're not thinking about this is where i need to finish yeah. so it's kind of a different kind of pressure that that seems to have affected your strategy yeah a little bit yeah. which kind of was I didn't want to do that. I kind of told myself not to do that and got caught up in, in doing that. But, it's, you know, you'll learn from it and hopefully get better. So i say most guys your age on tour, you're 26, right? Just turned 27. Just turned 27. The Sunday of window. Oh, wow. Happy birthday. <laughs> not, not your happiest <laughs> birthday. <laughs> um, i say most guys on tour your age obsess over the game, the mechanics, the training, and I'm certainly not at all calling that into question I'm just blown away by your passion that seems to be center on golf course architecture I know you're talking with Tron and Andy all the time just about random places all over the place and just your your, that seems to be your focus and we'll talk a bit about your project here in a second but where did your passion I guess for the construction or the the design of golf courses come from um you know my dad has been kind of in the whole golf course building them and running them and stuff like that um just so I just grew up being around that and like any kid kind of tried to copy my dad and uh so with him being involved in that it was kind of easy to see you know I got to see him building golf courses and 
then when I got out here and was able to play all these stops that we go and every week it seems like there's a really good course around and I somehow was able to find my way onto those and just got to see all these unbelievable golf courses and uh, just kind of fell in love with it a little bit. Because that's unique. I mean, most guys that on tour, you know, when they don't need to be at the course or practicing, like you can't convince them to go want to go play golf. <laughs> it seems like it would take two seconds to, to convince you to go pick up your clubs and go play somewhere else. Yeah, you know, a lot of courses that we play, I wouldn't say they're the best golf courses, you know, architecturally speaking, around. So it's sometimes fun to go uh, see some of those good ones that uh, are out there. As mentioned at the top of the show, the Steelhead XR Fairway Woods from Callaway are making a lot of buzz in the industry. They're known for the easy launch from the classic steelhead shape and the modern Hawkeye sole. You get fast ball speed from the next generation face cup technology. The hyperspeed face cup is especially efficient at delivering fast ball speed and distance across the entire face, especially on miss hits. I'll tell you, that's the best thing I've noticed about the Callaway equipment. My misses are hardly even noticeable anymore. I've had to kind of sheepishly be like, tell people, like, hey, I, sorry, I, I kind of missed that one. I know you don't believe me, but I might have mishit that one. The misses are the, the biggest adjustment that I see. CallawayGolf.com is where you can find out more information on the Callaway XR Fairway Woods, Callaway number one Fairway Woods in golf. So like broadly speaking, what are elements that you look for like in a great golf course? Um, like a good set of greens is, is my favorite. So when you go to a course and it has a really nice set of greens that are fun to putt on and stuff like that that's that's my favorite but uh and you I don't mean, mean necessarily the conditioning or the speed you mean just like the, the shape and design of them or, yeah, yeah yeah you know the just the the contours and how they putt and how they're just kind of everything i mean it's hard to explain but uh yeah you know i think we we play so many courses that are kind of modern golf courses kind of built in the dark ages that kind of sucks um what's the dark ages anything after the golden age of architecture so you know you had all those designers you know your alistair mckenzie's your maxwell's your donald ross's your rainers mcdonald's stuff like that who did a really good job and then it seemed like the next wave of guys kind of tried to put their own stamp on it especially around the greens I felt like they they almost feels like they kind of trying to protect scores and make it so it's harder which I don't necessarily agree with Um, sometimes you go to you know a classic golf course in the greens or there's so much flat putting surface that it's just so fun to putt those greens you know you'll have 25 30 footers that you just feel like you're going to make every single one of them because there's not that much to it, and it's just so much more enjoyable to me. So do you think, do you think like, obsess, obsession with par has kind of ruined the way the golf courses get designed? I think so, yeah. I mean, it just yeah, it just seems like they try to trick up the greens so much. That's the it, defense. That yeah, is the defense. that it almost kind of becomes stupid in, in some areas. You're like you know you have a 25 footer and you feel like you can't even get it within five feet especially when the greens get fast so i mean that's maybe my biggest pet peeve when i go to a golf course when i see greens like that it's just like drives me wild i mean i think it's kind of uh obvious answer in that do you think technology has really 
driven, obviously technology drives the courses that you guys are able to go to, but do you think that that is kind of, like you said, you don't, we don't always play the best courses architecturally. Do you think that the main driver of that is the fact that the ball goes so far? I think it's definitely, uh, you know, one of the factors for sure. It's just, you, you see a lot of golf courses that are really, really good courses, but they're just obsolete now because guys hit it so far. You know, you have really strategic holes that guys can just take it over the, the strategic elements and it kind of renders them defenseless a little bit. Do you feel like you play better on a course that, like, in your mind is better architecturally? Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, play, I play the same, honestly, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, it's hilarious. You know, I, I feel like guys will be like, oh, you know, this course, this is a great course for you. It sets up great, and I'll play like bad or something and then there will be a course that people don't think I'll play good on and I'll play good I've played good everywhere Mm -hmm. and I've played kind of poor everywhere too so you're not a horse for course it definitely not I I don't understand how people do it it's crazy (laughs) you'll see a guy who yeah you know he won here in 2006 and then he plays good every year and I'm like I just feel like if I'm playing good that week I'll play good Mm -hmm. okay so you don't draw on necessarily past experience good or bad when you show up for a tournament week um no, I mean, I just play the same everywhere, I guess. <laughs> do you um, do you base your schedule, maybe this, and I just asked kind of, you pretty much play anytime you can, but do you base your schedule more around courses that fit your, any particular part of your game? Not really, yeah. you know, I play when I can, and that's basically every week. <laughs> what courses that you play do you consider to be, like, the strongest, or, like, the ones that really hit hit your uh the, the your golf passion bone um wow i mean everyone asks this yeah. question and i struggle so bad with it you know courses like colonial i haven't played well there but i feel like i should but that that's a perfect example or or like valspar another one where it's like you got to drive it well you got to chip and putt well haven't played good there either so it's kind of hard I feel like I've played really well at Torrey Pines a little bit just because the rough is so uh, penal and you have to drive it straight and then everybody's hitting it in the rough so you have to chip and putt good so I mean I just like it when uh when there's rough honestly yeah that helps you out yeah yeah what courses you play do you consider to be some of the weaker from a design standpoint wish I had a list because I could look at it um it goes to say it goes to say though also which ones you think of in your head you know yeah um or which ones remind you of being of having weaknesses I mean Torrey Pines is one that it's, I don't think it's anything like special architecturally mm-hmm. speaking but like I said they they grow the rough up and they get the greens you know you know rolling quick and it's the Poana but uh I mean, there are a couple that are good are, you know, something like Riv and, like I said, Colonial. Um, man, I, I need a list. Yeah. I always need a list. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, all right, but I want you to, we're going to get in the Buck Club next, but there's first, I need the story to be told from your voice live on the air about what happened in the locker room at Muirfield <laughs> Village this year. People need to hear this story. Everywhere. This is a great yeah, story. Yeah, this is awesome. So I had just got done working out, and my trainer told me, you know, go swimming or 
go to the hot tub at your hotel and I was like well there's a hot tub you know like 30 feet away I'll just go to the one in the locker room so went uh went and hopped in the hot tub at Muirfield and it was Wednesday so Jack was getting ready to go do his ceremony or whatever for uh I think it was Greg Norman this year and he kind of you know saw me out of the corner of his eye and poked his head in he was about 20 feet away so you know we'll give him the benefit of the doubt but you know he kind of looked over and said something like what uh what's going on in here and I just you know at that point I didn't know what was going on really I was just like I'm just hanging out you know and uh then proceeded to say something along the lines like uh do your parents know you're here so I you know at that point I'm pretty sure he thought my dad must have been playing in the pro-am or something like that and you know I'm definitely not the oldest looking person but you know I will say once he came in and got a little closer I think he realized you know I was a player and then the next day when he saw me in the locker room he definitely gave me like a a little double take and was like wow the kid's here again because <laughs> you had met him before right yeah yeah I've met him several times and you would t- I think you said you had talked to him like at the um at the uh, Ryder Cup dinner last year right yeah yeah uh, I, I, I tell that story, people. I mean, my dad tells that story. It's yeah, absolutely I, classic. I, mean, I hear it every single week. Somebody comes up and asks me about it. Really? So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely made its rounds around. Now I kind of feel bad. What uh, <laughs> the second story is, I think, is maybe even a better one from Pinehurst at 2014. Yeah, that you, was a good one too. Uh, what happened there was I showed up early and I was playing a practice round with. Justin Thomas and we were just kind of walking around with our wedges and putter and uh, hitting you know some shots around the greens and I got to like 14 or something like that and my wife had shown up and was like hey the the merchandise tents right here we should go in and check it out before you know everybody gets here we can get all the good gear so I was like yeah let's do it and uh, went over there and the guy stopped us at the front door and was like hey Hey there, bud. He's like, look at you. You're a big time golf fan, huh? Brought your clubs out and everything this week. And uh, I was just like, yeah, you know, we kind of went along with it. I mean, I always try and go along with it. Yeah. I never like to Correct embarrass people. him or anything like that. But I mean, that was one that was l- literally like the funniest thing ever. We always tell that story. But uh, <laughs> the guy was just like, yeah, hey there, sport. I think he said, I think it was sport. So. Yeah, that's my uh, that's what a couple of the guys call me around town. Oh God, that's just, that's just I love those stories. They're two of my absolute favorites. I mean, it happens like every week. I'll be you know I'll run off to a bathroom and I'll come back in and kind of duck the ropes and the volunteers will be like, Hey, sir, sir, you know you can't go in there. That's for players. And I'm like, Oh, I'm a player, so I think it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God, uh, I'm sure that gets old for you, but that stories, those stories do not get old for me. Um, all right, let's talk about the Buck Club. Are you sick of talking about the Buck Club yet? No, definitely better not. not. Be. Um, as we mentioned at the top, like you're 27, you play on the tour, and one of the biggest focuses in your life seems to be on a golf course that doesn't exist yet. So, yeah. when did the idea for the Buck Club begin to formulate? I would say probably, you know, my whole life I've always wanted. Well, we had our own courses. You know, my dad had a couple of courses that were our own, so it was always having those growing up. I definitely wanted something maybe on a bigger and better scale of that. But I would say it really came around the time I was in college, 
and just seeing the lack of proper golf courses in Utah. Not not that there aren't good golf courses, there's just no great golf courses. And so I always felt like if I could build a really, really great course in Utah, it would just be a home run because there's nothing like it that. And so, I mean, there was never anything in your mind that thought, this is something I'll do later in my career or anything. It was like, all right, I want to do this. I'm going for it now. Cause, I mean, you gotta, it's unusual for someone at your age to start thinking about golf course design, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. But again, it was just one of those things where it's a different situation. I grew up with my dad right. kind of being involved in that kind of stuff. So um, <clears throat> my dad's always involved in just things. He always is on the move, kind of doing different stuff. So I guess it just kind of uh, runs in the blood. What, how did you, where'd the name come from? How'd you pick up the name? Honestly, it was kind of a, it was kind of a joke. Our, uh, our golf coach and our assistant golf coach at BYU are, you know, they like to hunt and stuff like that. So sometimes when we would go to these golf courses, they would leave during qualifying and like go look for deer, you know, in the trees and stuff like that. So I was, I always told them that I was going to build a golf course and call it the Buck Club and, you know, have deer on the property running around so they could stay out and kind of uh, watch the golf and see some deer and it kind of stuck and now uh, now we're just running with it. So do you have, you have land picked out and everything for the course? Yeah. How does that go? I mean, do you have any title to that land or, or what, what's the process like for like acquiring land for it? Yeah, so we have about, I mean, it's it's been funny. We've I've ran through about five different pieces of property and you know, routed a bunch of places and stuff like that. And then we're on one right now that Johnny Miller and his sons and a couple other partners own that's an actual golf course right now that is for sale. That That's the one right now that we're going to try and buy and uh, just totally redo it. Hmm. Does that make it easier, starting with a golf course that's already there? Or? I feel like for sure, yeah. you know, you don't have to do you skip about like 10 steps and I feel like that's always like you always want to be like the second or third owner of a course because because a design a golf course to me has always felt like a Rubik's Cube and like I don't, I don't really know the order of operations of what comes first like I've seen you have sketchings and whatnot <laughs> but if you're saying you've considered a bunch of different properties I guess what can you sketch out a golf course or do you have to see the land first before you even start designing the very first hole or do you sketch out yeah, greens so, that you have in mind or um I mean I do I do a lot of stuff, you know. A lot of my sketches are like greens and and holes that I've liked or that I've played that I've considered like proper golf holes that are really good. But I mean, I have I have routings, you know, I've gone to all these properties and walked them and seen them and then I do a routing or and then it changes over time. So I feel like the last two pieces of property that we've looked at and done, I mean, this one that we're on right now, I bet I have like 50 different routings for, and it just kind of constantly is getting tweaked. You know, you'll go out and play the course and you'll be like, wow, you know, we definitely need to change this to go this way, or we need to do this and this. So it is like a Rubik's cube, just always kind of changing. Does it? I mean, that 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 thought of in my in my head, I'd be thinking, you know, you get there and you start picturing the way it should go, 
and then I would fear getting like halfway through and like, actually, should I route it completely the opposite direction? I mean, are you just like back and forth on stuff like that or is it, yeah, does that stuff work itself out pretty well? Yeah. It's amazing to see where it's gone from the first time that I routed it to where it is now yeah. because like you said, you know, the first time it was like, it's already a golf course right now. So you'll be like, yeah, that was a good hole that they put there. You know, we just need to add, you know, we just need to change it and add a tee box and, you know, push the green back. And now it's like, wow, there was way better use of this hill if we flip it around and come back this way. So it's it's pretty crazy. So what is, do you have like a main architectural inspiration, to, uh, an architect that you draw from, or do you try to kind of draw from some of the, some of the guys from the golden age that you mentioned? Earlier, I would say, well, my favorite architect is Seth Rayner. So, you would probably, you know, if the course was built tomorrow, you'd probably see a lot of influence from him. But I will say, kind of one of my goals in building this, or you know, wanting to do this, was to kind of draw inspiration from all those guys and like do they all did they all had their kind of things that they were really good at and if you could kind of do everything that all of them were good at and put it together you would have kind of like a super course and I feel like that's what Pine Valley did they got all these different guys to come in and help out and and uh it turned out and you know that's still the best course in the world so <laughs> are you when you've been saying we are you employing people to help you with this or is this you doing this with family or is this you, um, you have a group that's working on it you know, I've got help from my dad. Mm-hmm. He's always been, you know, he's kind of the the driving factor. He's been really good with it, and, you know, that's what he does. And then it's it's been fun, you know. I honestly have a cool group of friends and stuff like that who, who like to talk about it. And like you said, you know, Tron and Andy and all those guys pitch in their, their two cents every once in a while. So it's, it's cool to just talk about it with other people because... I understand that I might have a certain vision of what I like, but that might not be what everyone thinks is the best. So I've kind of tried to kind of almost like do it like a poll and see what people like and see what how people react to certain things and get advice from a lot of different people right because that's one of the again I'm not going to pretend to be an architecture critic or expert but one thing that I hear about when I'm reading about you know <clears throat> design of somebody's work they tend to say well this person like Jack Nicholas liked to hit it left to right so he has a yeah. ton of holes that are shaped left to right or greens that fit left to right and so you it sounds like you're at least conscious of I'm not trying to design a course that's perfect for me yeah I would definitely that was that would be like the last thing right. you'd never want to I think every hole would be like 340 and tight <laughs> um, so what do you want the makeup of the club to be is it going to be totally a private club is it semi-private public you know we've had that's that's another thing that we've kind of dished around different ideas you know I, I've talked to you I think about how they do it over in Europe a little bit how they have the it's kind of a mixture you know you got your private side that gets to go out and get the good tea times and stuff like that but also the public is you know open to play it and then but I I don't really know at this point I would definitely like to have some sort of it be private but I just want to make sure it's just a straight up golf club you know no pools no no tennis courts none of that stuff it's just all about golf you show up play golf 
have a little food. Modest clubhouse then? Yeah, for sure. Don't want to do anything uh, to take away from the golf, but definitely at the same time want it to be comfortable, you know. You gotta go to the golf club, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the spot. It's exactly what you're describing. I mean, it's a small little clubhouse. Yeah. And just it's all about the golf. It's a golf course. So. That's what I, I think. That's another area where there's nothing like that in Utah. You know, there's really nice, you know, country clubs mm-hmm. or or, or <clears throat> private clubs. You know, your courses in Park City, your Glen Wilds, and your Promontories. They're really nice, but they're built more for you know to sell houses and you know, family memberships and stuff like that, which is fine for what they're trying to do, but I think Utah deserves a yeah. golf club. Yeah, and I've talked about this in the past, too, and you and I have talked about how, like you said, the model in the UK typically is membership, you know, it's a limited number of members. Um, members' fees or dues are just painfully low. I mean, yeah. it drives me nuts to it's hear crazy, huh? that. Yeah, like the the funding for the course mostly comes from the tourists that would come and play it and yeah. pay a decent premium to play it. The key to that is you need a course that is good enough to stand out that when yeah. people travel to play, that they would come play it. For some reason, this model just is, doesn't really exist in the U.S. I know there's semi-private courses. I know Pasatiempo is is a semi-private course that. And I don't know what their membership is like or yeah. how many tea times they're open to visitors and whatnot. But um, if we could find a way to make that model work in the U.S. across, I mean, I know some people join golf clubs for the exclusivity and for the privacy and that they don't, you know, they don't want a bunch of visitors playing the course. They're yeah. wealthy enough that they can afford that. But I feel like the model kind of got broken somewhere along the way and that there's a ton of country clubs that are, you pay a really pretty decent premium, like more like and uh, some country clubs in central Ohio guys pay more and pay 500, 600 a month for a membership of these courses. And you're talking about like world door like those members pay something a thousand pounds a year or something yeah. like that. Like that, that's messed up. That model is totally messed up and that it's like, you got to pay this decent premium just to get on a decent country club. And then you kind of lose some of the luster of an enjoyment out of going and playing somewhere else. Cause you're kind of like, well, I'm paying for this. Yeah. I don't really want to go play that. So I don't know. Maybe I just got spoiled with the UK, but I just I'm really I'm I'm frustrated with the idea of, of the thought of trying to join a club in the U.S. Seeing how much it would cost and and to kind of the cost benefit of it. But um, so that's why I wanted to I wanted to pick your brain on what your plans of, of of that were. But I mean I've heard you and I think I saw you you floated some kind of proposal package of some kind or something and, and the courses that you had mentioned, you know you just had said what if you had the opportunity to be a founding member of like a winged foot or something like that. So in your mind, this is kind of the level of club that you want to build. You're going for like a top course in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have no doubt in my mind that 50 to 100 years down the road, you know, the Buck Club will be in those discussions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, think if you had the opportunity to join like a Pine Valley or like a Cypress Point when it opened and you're like, wow like obviously you would do that so I I feel like this is kind of an opportunity for something like that especially for guys around Utah and uh, I think it'd be really cool so what will make the buck club that into that echelon right I mean like something like Cypress Point has the views but it's also just from it's got basically three different six hole sets and it's incredible I've never been there but incredible architectural design pine valley i know a decent amount but they say every hole out there is just perfect yeah and a lot of courses that are people top of people's bucket lists are based on scenery or the prestige of holding a lot of tournaments so so what's going to bring people to the buck club 
is this is this piece of land is this where this course is is it that impressive that you know it's you feel like it's going to be a true destination or how do you really set yourself apart i feel like a lot of different ways you know like i said earlier what they did so great at pine valley was they drew inspiration and ideas from all the greats back in the day of you know or the guys that were around and so they went there and picked ideas from seth rayner and Donald Ross and Colt and Mackenzie, you know, all these guys kind of gave their two cents. And, you know, Crump said, well, I want that idea. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And for that course, with where it's at, with no views of the ocean, you know, built whenever it was built to be the number one course in the world says a lot. You know, there's, there's not ocean views. I mean, you're, you're in the middle of pine trees for 18 holes but it's a perfect golf course as far as every hole is amazing you know from a strategical standpoint and um i feel like that's what i can do i don't think you need amazing scenery for it to be a great golf course you you have a course like chicago golf club same thing it's just architecturally speaking it's perfect if you could sit there i don't know how golf courses got on the track they were on if you had ever played a course like that it's like perfect you yeah. know what i mean so you don't need amazing scenery or anything like that you just need to put together 18 great golf holes and you know some architects say well you can't make 18 great holes or 18 perfect holes but i think you can and uh what you need to do is do what those guys did and they drew on or you know pulled inspiration from a set of specific golf holes over in the UK and just tweaked them where they needed to be tweaked and made those holes fit on any given property and then besides that I mean I feel like you know you'll have great fishing and great skiing so it's kind of going to be an all-year thing you know if if uh if you go out there you can play golf it's going to be all about golf on the golf course but if you wanted to go there in the winter when the course is closed you could go skiing hmm. and uh yeah it's deep yeah so what's like an example of and, and feel free to be as specific as possible of like something a specific either a template that you want to use template hole you want to use or like so like this hole at this course is something like i picture that at the buck club um well, so Rainer and McDonald, you know, they used all their template holes over and over. You know, they had their par three templates, the Redans and the Beerits, and then they had their, you know, their punch bowl and their road hole and stuff like that. So, like I said, I'm a big Seth Rainer fan, so I, I feel like you would see a lot of those type of template holes. But then I've also drawn inspiration from let me stop you there just because i'm i'm just now learning about it but people listening may not know when we say template holes what do you what does that mean yeah so like i said earlier uh cb mcdonald kind of the grandfather i guess of golf course architecture in america he went over to you know the united kingdom scotland whatever and uh he went out and studied all the great golf courses and, you know, came to the conclusion that there were X amount of holes that were like perfect golf holes or really good golf holes. And then he came back here and kind of implemented those and tweaked those and, uh, made his set of template holes. So, uh, I feel like if you can just do that, 
in Utah. Yeah. And do it the right way. You know, it's not going to be a copycat course. It's not like you're going to take the... No renditions. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to take the 14th hole at Pine Valley and do exactly the same thing and just plug it in somewhere. But you can take certain characteristics of it. You know, if you really like the, you know, first hole at Augusta, and if you really like the first green, for example, or something like that, you can take bits and pieces like that and say, like, I think that would fit really good here and modify it a little bit. And if you do stuff like that, I mean, it's a great hole for a reason. I'm not saying number one at Augusta, but I'm saying those holes, you know, like the third hole at National Golf Links, the Alps hole, it's a great hole for a reason. And if you took the reasons why it's so good and implemented it somewhere else, tweaked it a little bit so it fits there, how is it not going to be a great hole? You know yeah. what I mean? Nope. I, I... Do you ever, when you're out playing like professionally, see a course and think like jot something down like, ooh, this is a good one right here. This is one I need for sure yeah. all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's cool going to places like the Greenbrier. You know, that's a CB McDonald, Seth Rayner course, and uh, seeing all the template holes. You yeah. know, and just seeing how they're used or. Yeah, I'm big on like green to tee box transitions. So like the walk from a, a green to a tee, I love when the tee box is like right off the yeah. back of the green. So I definitely take like pictures of stuff like that, of ones that I really like. But green complexes, bunkering, everything, if I really like it, you know, I always have like a sketchbook with me. I'll jot it down, take pictures of it, show my friends. So that's what I, I think without following you guys, the, the template holes at Greenbrier, I was just out there last week, two weekends ago. It would have been, I played there, it would have been lost on me. I don't think I really understood it all until following you guys. So um, I just, I don't know, I, I thought it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts to get people to start thinking about these things that, you know, people that play golf a lot don't necessarily think about architecture. They think about, does this, do I play well at this course? And yeah. It might be limited to that. And I think you also have to be, uh, playing at a certain level to really fully appreciate a lot of architectural elements, but there's also a a overall like what I was so impressed with Pinehurst was it fits all handicap levels. Yeah. I mean, for a low handicap player, it's so challenging to you know you gotta hit the ball in the center of those greens. Yeah. But a high handicap player, you can kind of hit it where you want to find it, and it's still equally as challenging on the greens, but you're not getting eaten alive. And that's by where it. I felt like those guys, the Golden Age architects, were so good. Yeah. At they made it challenging enough for good golfers um you know put the bunkering in the right place you know put the green complexes in the right place and made them a certain way but at the same time they let like an average guy or a high handicap beat it around they weren't going to lose a lot of golf balls they weren't going to you know have a lot of out of bounds and stuff like that and that's a major thing that i've I want to implement in my course. I don't want a lot of water hazards. I don't want a lot of, you know, out of bounds. I want you to go play. I don't want a right. lot of places where you can lose golf balls because that just makes it not fun and slow and then, then golf sucks. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, people always ask, like, what my favorite golf course is, and I'm prepared to say my answer now is the old course, but I wouldn't have said that after the first two times I played it. It took to the third time to really see it, but kind of realizing like I didn't drive the ball great the last time I played there but I played one ball the entire round yeah. like you play it if you miss it in somewhat the right spot I mean you can go as far left as you yeah. want on that golf course like <laughs> but it's just so much fun to you know not fear going way left 
because when you go way left, you just know, all right, my angle into the green is going to suck. I'm going to pay the price because there's going to be a mound that i got to deal with that yeah. I wouldn't have to deal with in the middle of the fairway. But that's so much more fun punishment-wise for, like, a lower handicap player than it would be if that ball, you know, if that ball's in the heather and you can't find yeah. it. Yeah, so. I mean, that's that sucks. And, like, speaking of that, I mean, there's so many courses like that in Utah. They're really nice courses, but... It's like if you miss a ball, you're in fescue that's unplayable, and people are sitting in there searching for five minutes every hole looking for balls, and then there's water hazards in front of every green. Houses that frame the course. Exactly, and, and it's just yeah. like, get that out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> what about, I, I love like little small nuances that aren't related to the architecture of a course. Like I, I think I've thrown a couple at you of, of like at the golf club, they have this and I'm not sure if this is a, a club rule that they follow, but there's one hole where there's optional tee box, and like the guy that won the previous hole uh, gets to choose the tee box. So if you shape it left to right and whatever, you can kind of get an advantage that way. But I thought that was a cool little like knickknack. And do you have anything like that planned? Any little, do you have like a running list of things like, oh, we should try this, we should do this? Just might not have anything to do with the golf course. But. Yeah, I mean, I have so many things like that it's like it might be proprietary information too long to even get into i forget half of them um but yeah optional tee boxes um like hidden holes where you play to other holes like that's one thing i don't know if any i don't you know i've never talked to really any other architects about it but like that's a big thing for me i want you to be able to play this course like so many different ways i don't want it to just be 18 holes I want you to stand up on four and be like, oh, look, there's like seven green over there. That's like a sick par three that we could play. You know, you know, if, yeah. if you're just out with your buddies and, you know, it's a, not a busy day, you can kind of just go out and play a bunch of holes that aren't really holes. I like that. Yeah, I think it's amazing how much those little things add up to your overall experience. Like, again, I just recently played the golf club, so I keep referring to that, but like their trash bins are tree trunks that they just like hollowed out. And like, yeah. it's, it's like, I don't know, that's the coolest little touch. And all those little subtleties can really add to experience. And kind of, it, it sets the overall tone, I think of like, yeah. if you've thought of this, this is kind of the kind of level of service we're giving you basically here. Like this is the, this is kind of what we, the thought that we put into what we do. Yeah. My friends always talk, you know, they always bring up stuff like that. A couple of cool ones, you know, we've heard are like hidden places where there are like drinks on the course or stuff, you know, stuff like that, like buried in the ground yeah. or in trees. I think at Kingsley club or something like that on the 18th hole, there's some sort of a rock wall by the tee box. And if you're a member, you like know where the, where the whiskey's at or something like that. Oh, no, they're going to send all the people listening to this searching for that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anything we missed regarding the, the butt club? Uh, not really, you know. You're sure you're not sick of talking about it? No, man. <laughs> it's it's one of my passions, and it's something that hopefully happens sooner than later. But uh, it's cool to see kind of people get behind it, and, you know, everybody likes the hats, and everyone likes to, you know, talk about it whenever whenever I'm around. <laughs> so it's been fun. The idea of it is kind of just, I think, fascinates people. It's easy to see how, how pumped you are about it, and... Yeah, you're printing hats and belts and stuff for a course <laughs> that you haven't broken ground on. That fascinates me. It's fantastic. So uh, thanks for the architecture lesson and for walking us through that. I think that was uh, pretty much exactly what we were looking for. So Good. enjoyed it. But uh, we'll have to have you back sooner rather than later. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, Anytime. For now, let's get some grub. Sounds good. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah. Johnny, that's 
Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 